0: Wow. Thank you guys all so much for being here. Um, it is a true treat to look out and see you all. So um, thank you guys so much. I'm so grateful to be in L.A person. And I'm grateful for all of you. LA is for so many reasons. For me, the reason that I can do what I can do. Because it was here that I started feeling like I could share my work. um, And it was because of the community here. The other people that I came to meet here who are making their own work, making me feel so comfortable. So that's all of you. So thank you guys so much. I'm grateful for all of you every day. So, I'm celebrating you guys here, too. Um, I'm going to start by talking about the composer Charles Ives. So, in the 1890s, when Charles Ives was in college, he was writing classical music that was way before its time. He was experimenting with two opposing rhythms. He was Experimenting with opposing keys with atonality way before modernism, and he felt like his work wasn't taken seriously. And when he finished college and he moved to New York, um, he decided that he wanted to continue to write his music, but he just wasn't ready to, as he called it, starve for his dissonances. So he took a job in insurance and he went to work at his own insurance firm, which became the biggest in the country for 20 years, composing nights and weekends, sharing his work pretty much exclusively with his wife. And then he had a heart attack. And after the heart attack, it became clear to him that this might be his last chance to share his work in his lifetime. And he printed up scores at his own expense. He used some of that insurance money to print up his work, sent it around to other composers and conductors around the country, and almost everybody um, was nonplussed, except George Gershwin liked it, and a composer named Henry Powell liked it, and that was enough to begin his career. So this is a poem about those 20 years that Charles Ives was making his music and not sharing it. Oh, to be Charles Ives, who wrote for the future and lived in an organized present, who filed away each symphony in a leather sleeve and took the train from a garden house in Connecticut to a seat at a corporate desk. Think of Mozart, wild with sorrow, dodging debtors out of work, and Ives is on his train ride watching trees arrange their boughs. He hasn't had a concert in 20 years, and there he is, beating out dissonant lines on his two pressed lapels. He's not the cat that ate the bright canary, but the cat who holds the bright canary live inside the mouth. He's the cat that feels it breathing, the cat that will not speak or smile, the cat that godly patience fills with peace. Glenn Gould was considered by many to be an eccentric. He would only play when sitting on a chair that his father had made for him. Um, He would only practice sitting on that chair. He would only record sitting on that chair. When recording, he required the room in the room he was the temperature in the room where he was recording to be regulated, very warm, unusually warm. He wore coats and gloves even in warm places. He was once arrested because he looked like a vagrant in his hat, coat, and gloves in warm weather. And um, at two in the morning every night, he'd go to the same diner, sit in the same booth, and order scrambled eggs. (laughs) Um, Anyway, the, the speaker in this next poem is a chair. It's the chair that Glenn Gould carried with him. And, uh, Yeah. Glenn Gould's chair. He carried me from place to place, would play nothing without me. It wasn't that he knew I'd raise him only 14 inches high. A man he loved, his father, had made me for him. The world's too full of people, things, of chairs. Every year there's talk of something better in the new. But those who've never sat on something pulled for you from solid wood can't know. Only I can say how I was made, and I remember gingerly. Hmm. So last year, (laughs) last year, um, the heater broke in my apartment and um, so I turned the oven on and just sort of opened the oven door to heat up my kitchen I now know that that's very dangerous I won't do that again um, I survived um, but anyway I did get this poem out of it and I survived on difficulty the heater will not work I sit beside my oven widened door warming like a roast Look how this hot room unfurls these tulip sheaves too soon. This artificial spring swings us too comfortably through this difficulty. These orange blooms are Dutch, austere, serene. Let us know frost, they think, long fields, long months. Thin clouds, an ice blue sky, the sound of little change. Make us earn each tight fist widening in this hard, humble jar, this life, our single offering. There is a lot of Pellegrino behind me. (laughs) I did not have to look very far. You almost can't tell what's for sale. In 1904, Belapartok was living in Budapest. He was um, a young music student in his early 20s, and he was working in one of the music rooms at his music school, and he heard a sound coming out of the music room next to his. That was very beautiful. It was someone singing, and he never heard anything like it, so he went and he stood outside and he listened until it was done, and he was very moved, and he went in and he asked the girl who was singing what it was, and she said, oh, it's a folk song that my grandmother used to sing to me, and he got her talking and found out that she was raised in one of the outlying villages of the region in Transylvania, and that when she had grown up in this tiny village without running water there were these folk tunes that were shared mostly between women in the community, grandmother-age women sharing them with the young children. And Bartok had heard folk tunes from that region, but he'd only heard the sort of westernized version when things had been put into a more standard, westernized um, musical configuration. He'd never heard the sort of wilder rhythms, the way that they were. Uh, Shared in, in families and in communities. And so he became incredibly passionate about going out and hearing these songs and recording them because he realized that they were dying out with the older generation. Luckily for him, the world's first recording device that was portable had just been invented. It was called the Edison phonograph. And he got one, and he started spending his weekends trekking out with high boots and with a walking stick out to these outlying villages and taking this bizarre-looking machine that had a huge funnel horn, it looked like a Victrola, like an early record player, um, that recorded onto wax tubes, and he'd take them out into these villages and record these songs. And what he encountered was uh, a big surprise that this young... Well dressed man from the city had come out, and then resistance among these grandmother aged women who lived there because they weren't accustomed to speaking directly with the young man from the city and certainly not sharing their music with him. So that's what I was thinking about when I wrote this poem. An answer for B. You asked today whether I find you handsome. You are Bella Bartok in his traveling pants and knee boots heading into Transylvania's villages. Think of him arriving to your clot of low thatched roofs with his walking stick and that box with a side crank and widening funnel horn, vest unbuttoned, tie loose at the neck, young as a grown man can be. Wouldn't you cover your smiling as those women did when he came to the doors for old songs. Wouldn't you shoo him away with one hand, then watch him from the window as he walked on, girlish again in your apron? Wouldn't you think of him later with your water pail? Let it live unsaid. Even this record of you, etched on its wax tube, makes me hide behind my hair. My only official training in classical music took place when I was 12 and 13 years old and played the oboe, which did not go well. (laughs) This poem is about my brief career as an oboist. There an oboe plays. Still I hear it break beneath my chair, my oboe's double reed. So costly that I wept when I confessed and let my wet lip hang. I never made a single pretty note, and loved the flutist's cake and doily trill, the French horn player's sunken asphalt drone. Sorely under practice, I played below my key, and blew so lightly no one knew I blew. I hid between the clarinets and brass, waiting for a rest. But where are all the notes I didn't play, written by arrangers, deputized to me? those counterweights to hold the music up? And where are all the things we didn't say that would have made some conversation float? That ballast which, had it been laid too soon, would have straightened out too soon our lives. Whole sentences timed prudently are spoken in calm tones in curtained rooms, and there an oboe plays, its reed still new, its right notes made alone. And when I sleep through long nights, time can bend so that these strands, these clean retorts and notes, can braid themselves into time's orchestration, that fuller conversation. So here, some yellow afternoon in Hollywood, its feet festooned in car wash suds with Russian in its ears, this calm adult, her light hair in a twist, might walk home straighter under curving elms. Yeah. So I I chose the oboe um, in middle school because a friend, also in my 7th grade class, her father played the oboe and he played it for me and he played it so beautifully I just thought it was the most beautiful instrument in the world so Of course, I chose it, but when I played it, it sounded like, as my sister said, a duck dying. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But what I knew but didn't really entirely understand was that my friend's father was the first oboist for the L.A. Philharmonic. (laughs) What I definitely didn't know was that he was the most famous oboist in the world. <laughs> and now when I drive back to Hollywood from downtown and, I, and I'm on the 110, there's this huge mural, it's about 30 stories high of Esa Salonen and there's that violinist, beautiful female violinist with the wavy hair, right next to him. And right next to him is an oboist. That's David Weiss, my friend's dad. Um, And anyway, I tried. Most importantly, uh, from playing the ova, I learned how to read music, and that has been so important to me in so many other ways. The speaker in this next poem is a modern-day music student, someone that I imagine might be in school at at CalArts, and this student is gazing back at Igor Stravinsky through a gap of a hundred years. Um, this is a letter to Stravinsky, and it references the premiere of Stravinsky's ballet, The Rite of Spring, in 1913, and the incredibly famous riot that ensued there. Oh, it's also um, it's a 16-line sonnet. To Igor Stravinsky from a music student. What is left for our age to decry? Shoving, flinging insults, fists in air. What you call a sort of pagan cry brought down ancient towers with its blare. You knew spires tight as one high bud. Those hard walls are rubble now and dust. Good for making mounds, for making mud. Carthage flat as cardboard left for us. As Carl Van Vechten leans to see the dance, a stranger beat the rhythm on his head. And as you slipped, your face bowed down the aisle, a fleet of programs flung in fury spread. Loosing riots builds a murky joy. No shape of old order still erect. What is left for my friends to destroy? What is left for my age to protect? Hot Water. I am built for, more than other feelings, standing in hot water. It lends a kind of camp for, a mint in air. Present is the lemon of reviving, an opening of passage. Also there's obscuring in its steam, private, private, while the hook of thinking finds its grommet, then a perfect exit, a dissipating. It's not the weighted pause between two movements, maestro like a falcon on a fist. Let the waiting plaza when it's over, black sky cold the quiet, the fountain with its geyser, the flecks of local mica in the sidewalks flashing a new code. This next poem is a true L.A. story. As a child growing up here, one of my best friends was a granddaughter of Arnold Schoenberg, and she and her family lived in the house that her grandfather had lived in. And um, Arnold Schoenberg's office was right in the middle of the downstairs of this house, and it was left just as it had been during his lifetime. And I spent a lot of time at this house as a kid most days, the door to that office was closed, but some days it was open. And the, the rule was that you could look in, but you couldn't cross the threshold. So I spent a lot of time sort of peering in to that office from just outside. For Arnold Schoenberg, your office we were allowed only to peer at from its doorway. The papers sat as you'd left them. Sun came in through bottle glass and left its difficult patterns brown and layered on your work. Those were rules no child among us broke, stepping past the threshold into a place important now to scholars. I'd stand there looking in to that chamber where a hand went up some 40 years before and brought down sounds so firm that they were bells through time. What sort of arm, I wondered, reaches as my father's does to change a broken kitchen bowl and passes through the latticework of solidness to rooms of only breath? Who can breach the ceiling of the resolute and is-air tone just passed? I looked as if the answer hid in the desk's wood, the rug's weave. What are portals built of? What shade of paint? what shape of seat, what light. It always amazes me when I think about how many people have lived in Los Angeles that are associated with other cities. Schoenberg is one of them. What an incredible place to live. Right. The speaker in this next poem is a piece of music. The piece of music is called Six Marimbas, and if you've never seen a marimba, it looks like a giant xylophone. This piece requires that six marimba players, arranged in a close formation, each play a different rhythm. Six Marimbas, Steve Wright. Certain even numbers, split in two, become a set of primes. Technically they're even, but they're pregnant with indivisibility. I have always been like that. I'm linear but cockeyed, all those lines lined up but at a slant. You see it when you watch ensembles play me. Aren't they brothers standing at my six separate instruments? Don't they listen deftly to each other with such feeling, and with such feeling block each other out? To get to the end, they must fuse, but separately. It is like the question, must you marry yourself to marry another, or can a thing that isn't already be made whole? This this next poem is called the C above high C, and it's the we'll letter C, so it's the note that would be the C above high C. The C above high C, and where is my opinion in all this? Just here, the heart emits a whole and common note, all sphere. You will use that plain note as you can, cut it, find its opposite, then build it back, swoop towards it then away from it, drawing its halo. Your man, plain light, is too bright for you. Even one of its fingers, slanting through carved windows, sketches a pattern almost too gentle to bear. So... I just wanted to thank you guys again all so much for being here. Thank the incredible team at Skylight, the best bookstore in the world. It's such an incredible (laughs) privilege and a pleasure to be here. May independent bookstores reign forever, especially this one. Um, So, this last piece includes other performers. I'll call them up in a second. But first, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about it. On the surface, this piece is about the composer Maurice Ravel. But when I read it, I often think about a different composer, Claude Debussy. Mm-hmm. Debussy spent 10 years after his schooling working on his first big project, an opera called Pelléas. Melisande. While he was working on this piece, other composers that he'd gone to school with were finishing and premiering pieces, starting careers, and then growing to prominence. And Debussy was five, six, seven, eight years, nine years still into work on Pellis. And um, it was very challenging for him to watch other people sort of advance in their lives when he felt quite frequently like he was in this sort of kick-sand situation. And so I wrote this next poem about Maurice Ravel, but I always think about Debussy when I read it because of that incredible moment that happens when you're so deep into a project and you put everything that you have into it, and you're still so far away from finishing it that you wonder whether it's worth it. Um, Anyway, so that's where this next piece came from. And uh, I have some uh, friends who are going to help me to share it with you. Ravel's Bolero. Ravel was embarrassed by Bolero. It had been too easy to write. It swam from his head like an elegant smoke. Crowds always rose for it, thunderous, sweating, garish, teeth bared, worshipping even before it was done, even before it was known. We tend to favor our most difficult projects, those painful loves, So much of ourselves have been left on their knife-blades and cutting boards. Those works, nuanced, bulbous, spiked, hard to conceive, hard to complete, bought themselves to being, with our very breath, our lives. They are what we love the most, seeing in their slender weave, island-shaped flecks of our own shed skin, strands of our own fallen hair. Those are what we keep on our bedstands and reach for in the night. No one needs them like we do, as no one could imagine what was bartered in the process of their making, and for whom and why. Six years. I've worked on this project six years. Three years so far. Seven years to write it. Two more years to get it sold. Six years. I've worked on this project. Six years. Three years so far. Seven years to write it. Two more years to get it sold. Six years, I've worked on this project, six years. Three years so far, seven years to write it two years to get it sold. First six there years was this feeling this like a knowing or, or a calling. So it felt years urgent years and electric project. like a purpose or a duty. First there was this feeling like a knowing or a calling. It felt urgent and electric like a purpose or a duty. After all that training, project, all that schooling, I felt ready. After all that schooling, all that practice, I was eager after all that training, all that schooling, I felt ready after all that schooling, all that practice, I was eager.
1: Six she felt Second year, I felt
0: like I was dragging my own boat.
1: Year one, one years, felt like cruising. Project, six Wind years, in the coxing. Seven years well, so far, I felt projects, like
0: I was dragging my six own boat. But six I, knew years, this six years, I knew this project simply wanted to be born. Years, two years, two years, it had chosen me. But I knew this project simply wanted to be born. It had chosen me. I wanted to show how it felt when that first moment, when I saw it, I felt so alive when I saw it and I wanted, well, to save it, so I wrote a whole movie about it, first a brainstorm, then an outline, I felt so alive when I saw it and I wanted, well, to show you. I wanted to show a person when I started writing. Who exactly was I? What was I hoping to tell you? Reading through the first draft, I was younger. I was sadder. How can I edit those first drafts? Now I'm different. Now I'm peaceful. Should I try to honor what was younger, what was sadder? Should I try to honor all the growing I have lived through? Now I am two people. One is younger. One is sadder. Now I am two people. One is stronger. One can finish. Now I am two people, one was soft, he could start it. Now I am two people, one is peaceful, he can finish. Now I am two people, one is peaceful, he can see that younger he was sad, energetic, but resentful. Patterns, fabric, drawings, clippings, cuttings, contests, models, so fittings, patterns, fabric, drawings, clippings, cuttings, contests, models, fittings, photos, years. edits, cuttings, ripping, six headlines, six shoulders, so knitting, far. seven years, two, all two, those spoils of three thread. Years, two, so get it. sold. Six years. So much thread. Six years. Three years so far. When will it ever be done? When will I ever be done? Six years. Fabric, drawing, scripting, Three years so far. We are built by process. We are made by making. We are here for process. We are alive by making we, process. Process. The we are built by, by process. We are made by making. So six six years. Years. We are here for process. For we are alive for making. So Eight then years. Two, two, process. Process. two, two years to get sold. So what, get what did I want when I started? Process. What did I love when three three years so far. I started? Ten years. Two years to get sold. What did I want when I started? What did I love when I started? So ten years. So ten and years to show After all that training, all that practice, all that training, after all that training, all that practice, all that training, training, why did I love when I started? Why did I love when I started? How was I bold when I started? I was so bold when I started. I was so, when I I was so sad when I started. I was so young when I started. Everybody asking how's that project? Are you finished? Parents always asking, how's the project? Are you finished? Everybody asking, how's that project? Are you finished? It's always asking, how's it going? Are you finished? How did I, I started? What did I want to have started? Who is the man who once started? Who is the boy who once started? Must I uphold what I started? Must I obey what I started? I can't endure what, what I've started. I am entrenched in the start. So what am I do if am I finished? Who am I without amazing. this yearning? Who How would I, I be if I, I was finished? I am so used to long so burning. So what would I do if started? I finished?
1: Who am way I way without
0: started? this yearning? Who would I be if I finished?
1: I, I am
0: mean, so so transforming so so t- Must and I uphold what I started? S- must progress. I obey it what I started? I, I started? I almost almost started? What did I love when I started? Can I done. still love that there. I started? What did I love when I started?
1: Can I still love that I started?
0: Must I uphold what I started? Must I obey what I started? I was so
1: sad when I started. I was so strong when I started. How was I
0: pulled when I started? I was so bold when I started. What did I want when I started? What did I love when I started? When will it ever be done? When will I ever be done? When will it ever be done? When will I ever be done? When will it ever be done? When will I ever be done? When will it ever be done? When will I ever be done? When will it ever be done? When will I ever be done? When will it ever be done? Almost done. When will it ever be done? When will I ever be done? When will it ever be done? When will I ever be done? Done.